Episode 73 of Board Games with Varian Hex is all about what fans of Lost Ruins of Arnak also like. I'm Kelly, and in this episode, Adam, Aaron, and I talk about the games that the fans of Lost Ruins of Arnak also like. On Board Game Geek's website, on a given games page, you can scroll down and find the fans also like section that recommends other games liked by BGG users. We'll hop from one recommended game to the next and end up with five games discussed. Without further ado, I'll turn it over to Adam, Aaron, and myself talking about what fans also like. On-off switches, blades, hanging cords, things that fans also like. Oh, I can't tell you how confused I was. That made absolutely no sense to me. I really can't wait to listen back to it when I edit. We are starting a new series, we'll see how it goes, called Fans Also Like. We're going to start with Lost Ruins of I just got the joke. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) We're going to start with Lost Ruins of Arnak. We're thinking that's how it's said. That's what we're going to go with. It'll probably switch back and forth. This series, at first, I thought about calling it Recommendation Roulette. But we're going to name it actually after the section on the Board Game Geek website. So when you go to look up a game, above the fold, you see the main information about the game, kind of to use that newspaper marketing term. So before you scroll, you see a picture of the game cover, you see the rating, you see the number of players, all that good information. You'll see uh, Board Game Geek promote their own videos as well as like tabs for all the other categories of information about those games. However, by default, what is not listed there, you have to keep scrolling down. Past description, past buy a copy, past videos and in-depth reviews, there's a section called Fans Also Like. There's so many things on BoardGameGeek, it's hard to keep up, but this is a neat way to kind of discover other games that are related, but maybe they're not related because they're like literally by the same designer or have the exact same mechanism. It's just people who liked A liked B. Kind of like what you see on Amazon recommendations where it's like, well, you bought this thing. Here's what everybody else bought. That's the fans also like section. So we're going to kind of just tunnel down through that section. Start with a game. Sometimes, I think it's usually going to be a game we like. We'll then pick another game we like and just keep going from there. So we'll just chit chat about games as we are wont to do. How high of a score do you think we have to give it for them to count us as a fan who also likes other things that are scored similarly? I think, okay. Okay. So also above that fold, when you're looking at the game at the top, there are these series of buttons. When you kind of hit the bottom of the main information, there's a buy button, add to collection, log play. I think you have to be logged in for that. And then there's a little heart. So there are 1,941 fans of Lost Ruins. Oh, so it's binary. It's very skewed to people that click this heart. We don't currently click this heart, but maybe I'll start clicking it exactly for this series. Ah, we'll see. And there's also the option to subscribe, etc. So that is how it's it's board game geek users who have liked this game and then they like another game. Mm. It has nothing to do with the ratings then. So Aaron, as a you're a fan of this game, right? I I, I like the Arnok and the Lost Ruins therein. What makes you a fan? Like what about the game do you like? Mm. My favorite thing about this game is the very thematic switching from the high availability of tools when you first embark on your journey to low availability of tools as you get deeper into Arnok and the greater availability of artifacts as you get deeper into Arnok. I think 
both of the mechanics are kind of different and fun where you you play the tools uh next time through your deck you play the artifacts right away the artifacts have an immediate benefit and i think as the game progresses tools becoming more scarce artifacts becoming more populous is incredibly thematic and then also adds a lot to the gameplay interesting what i like about it is the varied way of getting victory points that you can pick several different paths to get those points and you can i don't know if you can avoid any of them that'll probably not be good but you can really focus on either like the track on the right or you can really focus on exploring new tiles flipping those over and getting getting a value from that or even like you know the tools the artifacts so there's a lot of different ways to get points and i really like that in a game i think it'd be interesting to try to win the game without advancing on the research track at all just see how far you got so many points though what i like about arnak is so when you discover a new place you get the little tile that you put onto your player mat and then you can use that for like a lightning action where you can just get the one resource you need i feel like in so many other games i'm like that one resource short and being able to kind of in the moment just like pivot and get exactly what you need to kind of keep that machine going because you do need x amount of these to go here and then i need these to go there sort of thing when you have just enough to be able to take to like play that other card or do that other thing that like is really exciting for me and i don't have to plan to have that in advance i can be like oops don't have it and use a little lightning i guess i could plan for the lightning too but i don't Hmm. so that's what we like about this game scrolling on down we've just become the fan of our first game on bgg yeah that's i'm gonna go with the uh variant hex board game geek account i'm gonna start being fans of things as we go through this we are a fan of this we're affecting the algo that is true Uh, and i think down in the fans also like section now there are 28 total options and again i have no idea if it's just one person who likes both i don't know if that one game gets in here as well i have no idea how this works and we don't need to we're gonna look at the top six that are just listed without going to see more that's wingspan it's a wonderful world tapestry Viticulture Essential Edition, Architects of the West Kingdom, and the Isle of Cats. So if you like Lost Ruins of Arnak, there's a good chance, or there's some kind of chance, that you might like one of those six games. I know we've all played and like, and Adam and I recently played on Board Game Arena, It's a Wonderful World. I think we're going to go to that one next and see what we find. Now, Lost Ruins of Arnak, before we do, is also on board game arena so at this point you can play both of these games like literally right now keep listening to this open up boardgamearena.com you could you could just be playing things we like just do one thing at a time no what do you so what do you think the connection is between like you know for the fans to also like this what do you think that connective tissue is between arnak and it's a wonderful world i think thematically something about the uh the art and how it kind of fleshes out the world you're in, I think is pretty similar. I'm someone who, oh, deeply shallow gamer. I will absolutely pick something for the cover and how it looks more than the mechanisms. Certain mechanisms will completely have me just walk away. But I think that the world that they're making in both of these is, uh, that's what I like, kind of how the art pulls it together and makes you feel thematically like you're, like you're a part of it. I doubt that's what everyone likes, though. What do you guys like? 
I mean, I think the thing I like about It's a Wonderful World is like the interesting way that that you need to manage resources in the game and like manage the resources you're getting mm-hmm. in and the resources you're spending. And that kind of speaks to what Kelly liked about Arnok, where like the there's a sense of scarce resources. It's tough to generate them. You can like do cool things to to kind of get an engine right. going. And I think It's a Wonderful World does a, a similar thing. You can also, because of the way you recycle cards, if you just need one certain thing, which is what I was just talking about in Arnak, you can like recycle a card and get just that one cube that you need. Yeah. Too bad there's not card drafting in Arnak. Well, I was actually going to say, we know I like card drafting. And what there is, yeah. though, and the, the connectiveness in that is, there is a lot of deck management in mm-hmm. Arnak, though. Like when you buy those mm. additional cards... The ability to draw cards, the ability to manage that uh, that deck load, I would call it. And that's also true of It's in a Wonderful World. You're drafting cards to get a very specific setup with those cards mm-hmm. to try to get you to win the game. So I think, while different, it can function somewhat cerebrally the same way, I think, the approach at least. Right, because you're not building a deck in It's a Wonderful World that you're like having in your hand and replaying, but when you actually construct that card it gives you some kind of resource or points or something that you're using going forward yeah yeah it's it's definitely affecting the the income you have i don't know if we really said the rating for arnak and kind of some of these base board game geek stats but that was very highly rated it's a wonderful world is also pretty highly 8.1 it was 8.1 for the rating i don't remember what the rank overall was for this one it's 137 for it's a wonderful world and um 7.8 yeah i don't i don't know how they make that rating uh but in any case we're scrolling on down there's lots of coverage of again we start with a pretty popular game So it means that there's a lot of coverage on both of these to learn more. Now, fans also like, as we might expect, again, we're going to talk about the top six here and then pick one. Lost Ruins of Arna. They they, they like it. Res Arcana, Hadara, which none of us have played. We still have Wingspan, Architects of the West Kingdom, and Isle of Cats. Now, I think that means that between those, Res Arcana and Hadara are the two new ones we see here for fans also like, and that I think we should go Res Arcana because we've played that one. Perfect. We like it, even though Adam just called it, uh, which you're going to hear on our collection curation episode about perfectly good games. It's ranked 125 overall. We kept it and also have two expansions for it. So we're big fans. And Adam is a fan too. I don't mean to say that. This is also onboard game arena. So again, we're continuing a trend here of available games to play right now. Aaron says, don't play it now. I say play it right now. This is a game that I both like and then have like a significant frustration with. Oh, uh oh. Um, I, I don't like that without the expansions, there are paths that can be like become available to you that are like very difficult to overcome so if someone gets certain starting cards available to them like it's just it's just so it says oh i should take four to six turns but like most of the time you need to figure out a way to do it four turns if you're playing with people who are competitive and i i always feel stressed when i play this game but it it does have very strong resource management vibes if we want to put a thread through the three games we've talked about definitely you're not building a deck in the same way because in this one you just get your cards at the start right like that is your deck and it's random and this is just like yeah you deal with this now and to me that brings like a little bit of peace to it because i have complained i'm sure i'll complain on some other episode about when games have a huge deck of cards and then like your job is to sort through those and see if any of it's meaningful 
I'm a bit relieved to just be like, no, no, this is your deck. Make what you will. And I think the I think it's interesting that the rest of the game is set up such that I think Aaron's point's true. Maybe you inherently have something better or worse, but I think that you rarely have something impossible. You can usually still find a path through there to get some traction, get some points, and be in the race a bit for winning. I think the expansions balance it nicely, though. I don't like, think Adam... Adam, have you played the expansions? Uh, I don't believe so. So I'm going mm. OG style here. Yeah, I did just get yeah, rid yeah. of it, so it seems unlikely I'm getting an expansion for a game that I just threw no. out the door. No. That'd be an interesting turn. No, don't get it. But I do feel like we should bring it the bring it next time that we're all hanging out. There's a Pearls one, and then mm-hmm. I don't remember... I don't super remember what the other one does. I think maybe it gives you more like people and powers. Right. Uh, to pick from the pearls are interesting because they can be used as resources but they're also victory points which is among my favorite mechanics in a game when you you have to make the decision to lose points in order to gain an in-game benefit so fun we were playing genotype and the coins are points at the end but like they're not very valuable you don't want to to have coins left over yeah but in res arcana the pearls Super are worth it. And when you play with yeah. the pearls, the the number of victory points you need goes up. I think usually it's like 10 and maybe it goes to 13 with pearls. Yeah. yeah. That's I, what I, Kelly and I were kind of discussing and Adam might want to weigh in on this. Like, we, do we like games where the coins score points where it's like a consolation prize or there's some games like Five Tribes or like this expansion of Res Arcana where the there's elements in the game that score end game points and a viable way to win is just to collect a bunch of those resources and ignore the other point scoring opportunities. Right, like if you just had a bunch of pearls. Like in Five Tribes, you can just collect a whole bunch of money. And pay zero. And pay zero a lot. For your turns, like yeah. never go up in turn order. And, and still be competitive against someone who might just be collecting, you know, all the fakirs. I think it is a leash to not just going all... I mean, it makes you think about the decision you're making right. if you have to give up victory points to do something. So Re- Res Arcana, with the expansions, does that for sure. Uh, Res Arcana also has, that's the, they've got the artifacts, right? The rotating, you use it, and then it goes back into the pile to get yes. it by somebody else, correct? Which is yeah, honestly kind of a very slow way of drafting something that you will need. It's a little different than like a standard take a card, pass it. It's kind of, but, but I think it's... Against but you're playing chicken. Like sometimes bit. you're trying to last long enough so that the person who has the power you have has gone out before you, so you can draft the thing that they have. You're right. Yes. Like right. that. And I, yeah. and that drafting's important. Absolutely, it is. You can kind of keep it from them. If I have some power and I really don't want Aaron to have it, if I can stay in the round, then he'll have to pick something else. Then I can put mine back, pick up something new. And I can drop out of the next round fast and get that thing back again. And it might have a lot of synergy with that, you know, deck that I didn't get to choose. And then that makes it all worth it that every other turn I have this thing that is incredibly beneficial, even if that means I kind of drop out of some turns early. Mm -hmm. Yeah. For how kind of small and there's not actually that much going on in Res Arcana. There's a lot of depth there. And I think there's a lot of depth in the other two games that we've talked about as well, where you can just play it. You know, you don't have to get into that extra layer, but you can also really dig in strategy-wise and kind of see things open up. Moving on down to the fans also like section. Now we're diverting further away. When we were on It's a Wonderful World, we were seeing a lot of the same stuff. This time we're seeing Knit of Alir, Seven Wonders Duel. We're still seeing Lost Ruins of Arnak. We have Roll for the Galaxy. It's a Wonderful World and Abyss, which means we are at yet another game that Adam 
got rid of, which was Roll for the Galaxy. Correct. Aaron and I haven't played that one, though. I have not. Um, I know we've all played Seven Wonders Duel, and we've all played Nidavellir. Which one do we think we want to hop to next? I want to do Nidavellir, but you and Adam have played so much Seven Wonders Duel, it seems wrong. Let's correct that. Adam has played so much Seven Wonders Duel. Yep. I think we need to go there. He's a pretty big fan. I also don't remember Nidavellir. I'm sure I played it, but... Oh, I think pro- I probably no just once. It is. All right. Now, if you want to talk about card drafting. Well, I mean, it's it's definitely card revealing uh, in this. I think sure. tying well, this... Well, yeah, I guess I, it's, I not, we're doing it's not the same. What I will say, you also kind of see a sub-theme on, is this exploration, right? So kind of going mm-hmm. all the way back to Lost Ruins, it's that flip the card over, what's there, how do you deal with that? I mean, clearly we see that every other move, right? Almost in this in this uh, Seven Wonders Duel game. So there is this underlying surprise element that's kind of showing up, I think, that we haven't addressed. And, and this does the perfect job of it, right? We know some information, we don't know half the information, and we just have to discover along the way. But it introduces like the instant loss mechanic, which I, we haven't seen in one of the games yet, which is pretty fun. Mm. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, I do like an some, instant loss in a game. Some might call it an instant win mechanic. Yeah, it depends on where you bought your glasses. If it's a, it's a half-full shop or a half-empty shop, mm-hmm. right? That's right. Now, I think this is the highest-ranked game. 18 is... I don't I don't remember what Arnak was, but if it was, if this isn't the highest, it is very high. To be overall 18, it's 21 on strategy and 8.1. And this is also, you know, I don't think we've said it really directly yet it's a spin-off seven, seven wonders. wonders like and i think for a spin-off like this to be as successful as it is i don't know i think that's just fantastic i think honestly two player count kind of maybe takes a little air out of the sails for some folks but i think mm. it's a better game than seven wonders well and what we've seen a lot and i think our collection is starting to be formed by this is there are a lot of games that work really well at three, like Euro games and just kind of other two to four player games. A lot of them work really well at three and are still pretty good at four, but down to two, the balancing of what has to happen there, either you have special rules, sometimes you have a dummy player, and sometimes it's just not as good. So I think when you see these two player only games on one hand, it feels like a little weird for it to be you know, to specialize like that. But after you play a lot of games, it makes total sense. And statistically, it's easier to find one person to play a game than to find two or three or what have you. And it's the easiest to play a solo game because you already have yourself if you are interested in it. So I think there's there's something about that too where maybe a two-player only game, even that kind of weird play count, gets played more either because there's only one person around or because you end up with weird numbers at a game night. And so two people kind of break off and play something else while three play a different game. So I think having, I think it's a good kind of ambassador for the category to be ranked this high to show these two player games, even if they're spinoffs or whatever, can be excellent and they can be better than you think you're getting more value out of getting a two to four player game. And that may not be true. Interestingly, the BGG takes the time to let you know that the community suggests it's best at two players. Yeah, yeah, that is a, (laughs) it can be a helpful little addition there at the top of the page to show what the community thinks the number of players is best at. But when there's only one option for the player count, you know, 
it does kind of feel like they could hide that. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it's there all the same. It is. It is best at two. You can't, you know, a lot of games you can like make up teams or something like that and play at different play counts that don't really exist. A lot of solo games you can kind of play cooperatively, especially with two people and just sort of discuss what you're doing. Um, but I don't think any of the solo games would then say like, oh yeah, it's real. It's better if you get another person in here. Now in the fans also like section, yeah, we're kind oh, we of new ones here. we're mm-hmm. we're getting mm-hmm. further away. We're getting further away here. So we have all still big popular games, but I think what we are seeing is that the overlap with other games that are great at two player, which we weren't necessarily seeing before this. They were fine. Yeah. We've got Azul. We've got Patchwork, another two player only game. Of course, we have Res Arcana, where we came from. We have Century Spice Road, effectively also Century Gollum Edition, I think. Splendor and Jaipur, also a two player only game. So we have two two-player-only games, and three other games that are pretty darn good at two players. I mean, Splendor is delightful at two players. Right, so I think that makes this... We'll, we will call this next one the last one that we'll do for this episode, and maybe we'll see how long we can keep this up. Maybe we'll start the next episode with the one we leave off on. I mean, that's obviously what we're doing. Okay, all right, all right. Or at least we'll at least decide which one we'll go to next, because we're going to talk about this one. So that begs the question... Which one do we want to go with? Some heavy hitters here. I, I have an opinion, but I also shared my opinion first last time, so I'll, I'll wait. Well, that's okay. You can go again, Aaron. We should do... I mean, I, I think the game that, that collectively we played the most is Splendor, so we should go that way. Okay. We're going to go to Splendor. I, I wanted to talk about Jaipur, but I'm sure it'll come up again. What makes you a fan of Splendor, and how do you feel like it relates to Seven Wonders Duel? Well, I mean, certainly you talked about the hidden information game, and like, there's a lot more information shown at the beginning of a Splendor thing, but like... A huge aspect of the game is what card gets just flipped over and how do you respond to it. Um, And I think that's absolutely crucial. And then the cards themselves can become the resources, but then you have like the medium of the chips for the resources. It's definitely competitive in terms of card acquisition. It has obviously a different mechanic, but it is... I think it's a game that you can learn very, very quickly to play. And it takes a long time to like understand how to play it well. It also is a game like Seven Wonders Duel that has open information on where everyone's at score-wise, right? There's no right. hidden scoring in any of... I mean, is there a hidden scoring in any of the games we've talked about? Uh, I don't think, I don't think so. so. It's not... There's yeah. not apparently, apparently, the fans who who hate hidden scoring don't like like we're not seeing maybe maybe that's there. the maybe that's the thread through all the games we've talked about is that nobody nobody it's wants so hidden scoring yeah but i think that's kind of nice right you always know where you're at in relation to your opponent mm-hmm. as who's winning or not in that current moment or where it's everyone's also at. in so addition to their awesome. points by rule they have to tell you what chips they have because they can't go over 10 they need you know yeah they can't hide the resources that they have that they can use to buy something right now I for th- aaron it's by rule for me i would just tell someone because they asked but you oh, know it's by rule i think the thing about splendor and uh maybe a lot of these is you can play this at a lot of different levels because i think you could have a group of people playing splendor in a slow and casual manner and they are slowly accumulating points they're taking more turns per like in the game and you can also play with people who are taking less turns being far more efficient building with more uh, momentum towards the nobles to be able to buy that more of like actual race and competition for certain ones kind of being more aware of well this color's on all of these and so now the there's a group think around well green 
we all are going to need green. And so it just becomes so much harder to try to get that. And you're finding new ways to work that in. It's not always on that level. This game is now on Board Game Arena. The app for it absolutely can move you from someone who's just here to gather some gems and have a lovely time to being ruthless at this game as you go through the challenges because they change the way, they change the conditions of the game. They give you like a preset way that the cards are going to come out and you have to beat it based on the cards that they've set up there. I think that is kind of an interesting journey you can go on with a game that is ultimately sort of light, but gives a lot of replay value. I've never played the app, but you and Adam at one point had played the app a bunch. And then I just hated playing yeah. this game because you guys would crush me every time. Yeah. And then I played with you guys enough that I got better at it. And then I learned the lesson you're talking about where you can play it at different levels because yes. I played it with people at my job who were playing at that very casual level. Yeah. And I, I, I for the first time in my life, because you know I'm pretty competitive and don't care if I beat people at stuff. Like that's, that's well established here mm -hmm. on the podcast mm -hmm. and in my life. For the first time, I like felt bad because I finished the game so quickly. Right. No one was playing any defense. Right. And, and then I, everyone was like, oh. And I was like, oh. I was playing a different game. Right. I think one of, one of my favorite games to take to a situation like you're saying is King of Tokyo. Something that you can kind of do a skillish thing about it, but there's still enough luck in it. I took King of Tokyo to a work thing and I said... I'm not going to buy any power-up cards. I'm just going to attack nonstop. I don't know if I said I'm also and I'm going to win. I don't know if I also said that, but I did win. Because you want to kind of be a good ambassador for the game. And if you take something that people have maybe played once or twice, you come in with some like 100 hours on the app energy. It kind of can make other people feel like, oh, I guess I, I guess I wasn't even doing this right. And I think that's an awful feeling for like a game that's meant to be played to be enjoyed that if you, in some ways, if you are coming into a new group like that and you're just seeing this differently, you're going to sort of invalidate the fun they've had. Now, they shouldn't be bothered, and I hope that no one listening gets bothered by that. Let whoever do whatever big brain thing they want to do with a game. Try not to let it invalidate the fun you're having, but it can be hard not to when you're like, oh, I have two points and you're done with this game. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a little bit challenging. What would be really interesting is if King of Tokyo is at the bottom of this page. Oh, that would be that would be interesting. I'm going to give it a slow scroll. I don't think case, it's going to be there. In case anyone else has something to say about Splendor. I don't know. Adam, I think, has played it at many different play counts. I don't know that we have as much as he has. I've played it a lot at two and a lot at three. I've not played a ton of four. Yeah, because I did a Splendor tournament one time at a place, and... It was all four count, which was a little it was a little different for me. That's not the play count mm -hmm. I play at. And I play with people that had very, uh, what I would call atypical strategies for how I play. Oh. And, you know, top row drafting early and things like that, where it was just kind of lots of chip hoarding. It was a, it was a fun, but very long <laughs> evening because of these things. But it was, I, I think Splendor is such a great game. I, you're right, I've played it a lot. I, I still want to play it. Like, I'm excited yeah. after talking about it to play it again. It's never gotten old for me. It, I think it's in the category of games that, like, if you put, if anyone puts it on the table at any time, I'm, like, I'm never going to be like, ah. Oh. And there's some games, like, put them on the table and you're like, ah. Oh. Even though sometimes you like those same games. But Splendor's never yeah. won. I Agreed. think that when you say playing with four, seeing those different strategies and playing people differently, I think that's what happened with me when I played it on Board Game Arena where like I can hold my own in Splendor or whatever, but it also was like, yeah, I think these people have been, I think these people have played in 
tournaments. Uh, it's weird to see people come to a game and you know all the rules. You totally know how to play. And they're just doing things where you're like, oh, okay. I guess that is within the, okay. Yeah, I guess that's a thing too. Like right. that someone has a completely different approach to something that you're familiar with. Uh, is super interesting. All right, we are down to the fans also like section. We're seeing it's not there. <laughs> there is like see all like there are more listed than what we're saying. We're just taking well, the, but for the, the scope of this, it needs to be in the yes. Section. That's true. That's true. So what we have here, some of the ones we've talked about, some that we haven't. Century Spice Road, which was on the last one. Azul, Patchwork, Jaipur. They were all options on the last one. We also have King Domino here and Love Letter. So we'll pick now what one we'll start the next episode with, but we won't We won't actually start. That'll just be the title for the next one, and we'll go from there. So what do we think the next episode we should start with? I mean, doesn't it have to be a Love Letter? I know that's got a... Uh, I feel a like that would be the opposite of your opinion. <laughs> that's. I, I almost said, well, it's obviously not Love Letter because Adam hates it. I, I honestly, I mean, I, I think I don't have that much love loss for Love Letter either. I think it's harder because we actually have played all of these enough that there isn't like a clear, there isn't I, like I, a clear answer. Yeah. Century Spice Road, Azul, Jaipur, or King Domino are all games I would love to talk about. You and, well, have you played Patchwork? I think I've played Patchwork once maybe, with you. Maybe once. Yeah. yeah Adam, that's another one. Shout out to the app. Before we had Board Game Arena, we had to individually pay 2 to $10 for board game apps. They were still fantastic, in some ways better than Board Game Arena, some ways worse. And Patchwork is another one of those that has a fiendishly hard AI that will beat you over and over and over again. Oh, it, when I finally beat uh, Mr. Rosenberg on there, oh. it... I remember I texted you. Like, I mean, I took a screenshot and sent yeah. it to you. Like, I mean, I played. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it had to have been hundreds of times to get to yeah. that point. Like, yeah, because you're you like, play that more or less than you played through the ages. Oh, less. Oh, less. Yeah. Yeah, it's less. He's played through the ages a lot. That's one where on patchwork he beats you, and you're like, oh, I see what he did. I'll do that, and then you do exactly what he did, and then he beats you again, and boy, he it's, beats you worse. He sometimes beats yeah. you worse every time you like <laughs> think you've learned right. anything. Yeah. Man, it's tough. It's crazy. And for a, for a game that's just putting patches on a quilt, like it's just polyomino pieces. It doesn't feel like it should be like that. It definitely is. But Anyways, it does feel like it should be the beginning of our next episode of this. Well, no, I think that's, I think we've, we've talked about that enough. I think we're going to pick something else because we're going to pick something that we're all, well, I was uh, happy that we're with all the on. I know. Sure. So that leaves, as you said, Century Spice Road, Azul, Jaipur, or King Domino. Let's go with Century Spice Road. Century Spice Road it is. So next time when we come back, I wonder if it's just going to take us through the whole Century series. We'll find out. Yeah. I think if there's a series, it's my favorite series for sure. Oh. I love Century. Transform, wow. Just transform resources and the gems are all the same. Oh, come on. We should play. I want to play all of them together. Nah. It usually goes bad when we play together, period. Yeah, Kelly does not like to play Century with me. We'll talk about that. Next uh, time. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to episode 73. Be sure to subscribe to know when new episodes drop. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Twitch at Variant Hex. We have a website and a blog at VariantHex.com, and you can email us at podcast at VariantHex.com. This was our first episode of this type, and we hope you enjoyed it. 
We have a feeling that these recommendations might keep circling us back to the same popular games, but we'll see what happens as time goes on. The next episode will be our board game of the month for September 2022, unless you're listening to this in reverse, in which case you have 72 more episodes headed your way, the next one being Adam and I talking about our big post-Gen Con board game calls. And that's all for now. Thank you so much for spending your time with us today.